This is Liam Wilson from Azusa, and you're listening to my chapter of As the Story Grows. Welcome to the next chapter of As the Story Grows. I'm Brian Patton. I'm super excited to have Liam Wilson, former Dillinger Escape Plan and current Azusa bassist on the show. We talk about his upcoming tour with Devin Townsend and the difference between playing with Devin versus Dillinger Escape Plan, as well as the new Azusa record, Loops of Yesterdays. Been trying to get Liam on the show for a year and a half or more now, and I'm super excited to finally have this chat with Liam. Enjoy. I'm glad we could finally make this happen. It's been like what two years? I feel like I was going to say it's uh, it's been a long time in the making, and I appreciate your patience. Yeah, <laughs> it happens. Life, man, life is yeah, very, a crazy. lot, a whole lot of it in those two years. Yeah, no, no kidding. <laughs> so, uh, it was just announced you're going on tour with Devin Townsend this summer. How'd that come about? Huh. Well. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of um, auspicious planetary alignments and deities working in my favor, but <laughs> on the ground level, um, I guess uh, I had met Devin, uh, I'm going to say, it, this is just a rough guess, I'm going to say 2014, we had, or we, Devin and Dillinger used the same European and kind of uh, international market booking agent. <clears throat> okay. And we ended up on a kind of like the, I don't really know what to call it, like like a big Lollapalooza-like festival in Australia that kind of moves around like a warp Tour. Okay. Uh, so we would just play the same cities, uh, but it would be like, you know, like 200-some bands on this thing called Soundwave, and I remember that Dillinger and Devin Townsend Projects were on the same, um, just on the same festival, playing at almost the same time, so we were like, kind of being shuttled to the festival grounds at the same time, so we were probably staying in the same hotel, so we were just like crossing paths a lot. Uh, I think that was around the same time that Greg from Dillinger had recorded a track with him, um, well, Greg had like sung on a song and, uh, so anyway, uh, we had had some conversations then and I remember us kind of getting along well enough. Uh, I believe we met one other time in Vancouver when Dillinger was passing through and again had like a, you know, a pleasant 
conversation and he left a good impression on me at least and I guess the same in reverse. Uh, so then he recently, he's been going through all these, you know, and this is kind of me paraphrasing what he has told me. He's been going through a lot of, uh, deliberate lineup changes to keep things interesting for his audience and, um, and just to kind of keep it interesting for himself too. And he has been doing a bunch of tours that have been like what Devin wants and set lists that are kind of like the, you know, I've got the mic, you've got to put up with what I want to play. And, which I think is great, honestly. Um, and then I think he, you know, in response to that, he also asked his fans, like, now that you've kind of stuck with me through, you know, this portion of my career, I want you to tell me what you want to hear. And a lot of the response that he was getting was like, Strapping Young Lab material, some of the heavier, um, I don't know, I guess heavier material that he has. So he did this, I don't know how many tons of rock. I'm going to guess it was maybe 70,000 tons of rock, like one of those cruise things. Yeah. Uh, I guess he did one in, like, I'm going to guess December, January. Um, and uh, a good friend of mine, Wes Hawk, is a you know, incredible guitar player. Uh, I noticed that Wes was posting photos that he was playing it. And I was like, oh, whoa. Like, and I didn't even catch who he was playing with. Um, but which was just like, oh, Wes is playing in front of a crowd. Rad. It's great. Um, so anyway, long story short, he, uh, whoever Devin was playing with at the time, I guess cannot do the summer run and has some other commitments. And when Devin turned to Wes and said, well, you know, if you have any suggestions, Wes put my name in the hat. And Devin was like, oh, right, I know that guy. And that sounds like a great, you know, match. Uh, so we had a, you know, he sent me a Twitter DM of all, you know, of all the <laughs> correspondence. Um, I still kind of, I tend to like Twitter, um, despite what a lot of other people think. Uh about it, not about me liking Twitter. And, uh, sure. so yeah, I saw, uh, and you know, at, at a really kind of funny time, I saw a, a message from Devin just kind of saying, Hey, what are you doing this summer? And at first I thought, uh, that it was going to be, you know, in reference to maybe taking Azusa out. And, uh, because I had recently spoken with the same booking agent who books Devin still, who also handles, uh, Azusa, uh, specifically uh, Jim and Yeri at K2. Uh, shout out to those guys. And, uh, yeah, so I thought it was kind of in reference to that because they had mentioned that Devin was going out this fall and that if I had any personal pull to reach out to him myself. And before I even had a chance, he was reaching out to me. And then when I kind of read the message more, you know, closely... I was like, oh, I think this is more about me and what I'm doing this summer. And we got on a phone call and, you know, a really kind of whirlwind 20-minute, you know, quick chat briefing, you know, where are you at in life? What do you want to do? Are you free? Um, you know, we just had a, a – I, I remember getting off the phone and just kind of going down and talking to my wife and just being like, that was a really fantastic phone call. And – you know, I think we both just got off the phone really excited and like, uh, before I say something stupid, let's just leave it at that and I'll talk to you soon. 
Nice. So, um, and then last week, uh, one of the times we had to reschedule this, I was going out. Um, I don't remember whether it was the show night or another night where I had, I knew he was in town um, on a day off, and we had had a chance to just catch a late dinner and just sit down and, you know, talk music and life and just kind of kind of catch up on, you know, and really just kind of get to know each other uh, in a more intimate way, given that we were going to be spending a lot more intimate time together. Uh, so, um, virus is pending. I'll be out with him this summer, <laughs> especially as far as festivals are concerned. It's like the, uh, it's like the Napster of viruses happening right now. It's like nuking the music industry and the, I mean, just industry in general. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. That's cool. Outside of like having to learn like new songs, is there something appealing to you about, um, playing music live that's maybe a little less mappy or not less technical because Devin's music is super technical, but it's a little less chaotic than your usual realm of, of music. Yeah. The bass, the bass parts are a little bit, um, less, uh, you know, honestly, it just kind of seems like there's a lot less ego in his bass lines, which, um, (laughs) which I'm a fan of, you know, I like that. It doesn't necessarily have to be about, showing off so much as just like supporting the song well uh i've always kind of thought of myself you know or wanted to put myself in more uh blocking for touchdowns kind of bass player position um and that you know and, and whatever role that is and luckily i can handle more complicated stuff when it's you know when that's what the situation calls for um but yeah i mean i'm definitely excited about playing his stuff uh i did um Shout out to Mirker. I did a short run with her when she came to the States, and I kind of got called at the last minute to fill in for her bass player. And, yeah, I, I realized on that tour, and it kind of ties into Azusa too, um, I realized on that tour how song structures that are a little bit more straightforward actually throw me off. Um, Dillinger has, like, you know, it may be a little bit more so you know, in later years, but we didn't always have like the typical verse, chorus, bridge, outro kind of structure. You know, it was a lot more stream of consciousness. Sometimes things never repeated. Even if they did repeat, there was so much variation in each, you know, cycle that it kind of felt like I was playing just like one long bass line instead of like the verse part, the chorus part. Um yeah. So with Mirker, it, it it quickly dawned on me how when I have to think about things and, like, count, like, oh, this happened 16 times. <laughs> like, I, I start to, like, lose my focus a little bit. Um, I, I think the Dillinger framework, and maybe it's nature or nurture, depending on how you look at it, but I just kind of w- was typecast for that sort of song structure. Um, so uh, Devin's stuff... I, I almost have to just sit around and like listen to the song so many times just to, you know, learn how many, just kind of the feel of it. I mean, and, and just kind of the way that he writes songs and like his natural tendency of like, okay, this is when we've, this is when we go into the chorus and how many kind of, how long the verses tend to be and how many times he does a chorus. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm excited to get up and play things that I hopefully won't have to, 
that I don't have to be so much in my hands and I can just be a little bit more in my heart, if that makes any sense. Yeah, um, for sure. And, and just kind of play to like the performance and just kind of, you know, cause his, his shows are, you know, and just his personality in general, he puts a lot of, you know, a very uplifting, refreshing, uh, spin on things. Uh, so I think it's going to just demand a different part of my personality and a different part of my skill set to really do that justice. So I'm excited to, you know, provide that service. Yeah, it's not just complete fucking chaos the entire time. <laughs> no, no, it's a lot more, um, you know, digestible and not to say memorable, but maybe catchy or, um, yeah, I don't know. I think it hits you a little faster. It's not like this hard listen. You don't have to listen to it and kind of dissect it as it's going by. You can kind of hear it all as like, one idea that's, you know, again, it, it, there's not a, and, and I'm not discounting how far ego has taken me or the music that I participated in, but I appreciate that there's a lot less of it in his music. Before you joined Dillinger, was, were you, did you have like a musical inclination towards the, the mathy and the more chaotic side of metal or was it more straightforward before Dillinger? Um, yeah, I mean, I remember, it, you know, when I joined Dillinger, I kind of felt like I was joining one of my favorite bands. So, yeah. you know, I had seen Dillinger and felt like they were sort of a, um, you know, a lightning bolt, uh, in the, in the scene and in the music that I was listening to. And just like a turning point in my way of thinking about music and especially heavy music. Like I'd always kind of been into heavy music and that's not to say that I don't like everything because I truly feel like I'm one of those musicians who just likes a little bit of everything. Um, but I do really like heavy music and, um, you know, I was into things like Meshuggah and Cynic and, um, you know, and, and Death and some of the more, like, kind of technically metal bands. But I was also really into, like, hardcore bands. And uh, I kind of felt like Dillinger was, like, a really nice uh, kind of dovetailing of those things. But also had this, like, Radiohead sensibility. Like, I remember when I first met them and started hanging out with them, you know, we weren't really talking about, um, you know, uh, Dillinger and Cynic any less than we were talking, or, you know, Meshuggah and Cynic any less than we were talking about, like, Fiona Apple and Radiohead. Um, and I kind of enjoyed that they weren't so uh, prideful or, like, kind of trying to just be in the scene so hard. <laughs> You know, like, it def their music obviously was drawing a lot of different influences. Um, so uh, I, I definitely felt like I related on that level where, like, we had a lot of common ground on the heavier stuff and also just kind of the direction that we wanted to take things in. And, you know, I always felt like as a musician, I was just kind of out there trying to create the record I couldn't find. 
you know, and there was like this kind of little air gap at different places in my collection. And I, once I met like Ben and Greg, or I'm, I'm sorry, like Ben and Chris, especially, it was just very clear that, um, you know, we could do that and that they were already doing that for me. Right. It's like there's an ingrained jazz elements, but also like songs like Unretrified and Milk Lizard are like, they're pop songs, essentially. Like they have these pop grooves and hooks to them that even in the chaos of Dillinger, there are these pop moments and these experimental moments on like, like Ironworks is great experimental Radiohead type moments on them. Yeah. I mean, I definitely, you know, especially on like Calculating Infinity, like I really felt like some of that weirder, you know, again, Radiohead, that was kind of when OK Computer really, uh, at least for some people, um, really kind of changed things. And, you know, I felt like I had, like, just got the Radiohead bug, like, not that long before, you know, probably around the same time that I heard the Running Board EP. I was, I was also, I remember who I was living with and who showed me OK Computer. Uh, and I didn't necessarily think I, think I liked it. And then... I remember like maybe a few weeks had gone by and there was this melody that was in my head and I like was like, what the hell is this? And <laughs> I kind of, I, I remember like humming it to him or trying to like sing it to him and he just kind of started cracking up. He's like, dude, that's Radiohead. That's the Radiohead I was playing you. I was like, oh my God, like, I guess I am a fan. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I mean, I always felt like, you know, Dillinger was kind of always, in a, in a, in a fun way, like, what do people think that we are? Okay, well, let's do the opposite. Or like, what do people want? Okay, well, let's give them that, but not completely. You know, it was always just kind of like, there was always this kind of like naughty, kind of bratty, teasing, you know, attitude about everything, whether it was like this, the way we performed or just the way we wrote music or I don't know. There was always just kind of like this, you know, fake right, go left and be slippery at all times um, mentality. I could talk about Dillinger for days because like I, I immediately think of like the Conan O'Brien performance and how crazy that was and Greg on top of Conan's desk and in the audience and how nuts that was and then before you guys broke up the tour you did in uh, all the small clubs you played Kung Fu Necktie here in Philadelphia and just how insane that was yeah that was a feral one I, I, I think all of us will say that was you know in the top I don't know. I mean, even top 10 is like a very small number compared to how many shows we played, but just like, that was one of the hottest shows we ever played. It was so hot in that venue. Yeah, I mean, and we had the option to play Johnny Brenda's, you know, for anybody who lives in Philly and, and specifically like that Fishtown neighborhood, 
with the option to play Johnny Brendis, and I was like, no, we're going to play an even smaller, <laughs> more feral, like, just, like, even more obnoxious to our fans kind of club. I mean, essentially, like, it's like a basement show. Um, yeah. And I'm sure... I'm sure a lot of people, you know, I hope that people who listen to this podcast have either been there or played there and, like, know how savage it already is. Um, but, I mean, that was the, one of the few times I remember, like, looking at fans and being like, our fans are going to tap out before us. Because usually our fans are just, you know, we play, you know, seven shows a week, you know, sometimes more. And, you know, they they only really have to put up with it for one night. And in some ways, yeah, we have a little bit of momentum or, like, um you know, we've been training for it all tour or something, but usually our fans somehow have, like, as much, if not more, energy than us, so we kind of always have to, like, they're like a hurdle we have to get over. And that night, I remember looking at people and being, you know, kind of deciding, like, how many more songs do we play, and, like, do we do an encore, and, like, just the look on people's faces are just like, we're tapping out. <laughs> and we were like, great, great, because we are, too. I mean, that was, but that's kind of where you want to get it to. You know, where you're just like, both people are just kind of like, I'm tapped. You know, or both both sides of that, that exchange are just like, you have taken us there, and it's transcended. <laughs> I got my money's worth. I mean, we always like doing, you know, especially at the beginning of uh, a tour cycle, or, um, you know, when we get a new member in the band, we would kind of be like, okay. You know, since they weren't here from day one, or, you know, since they weren't here... Uh, when we would kind of play these kind of venues regularly, and this was all we could play, let's kind of humble ourselves and give fans more of that. You know, and the same thing goes for fans. Like, there might be people who just got into the band who never got to see us in a small club and deserve at least the chance to to catch something like that. And, um, you know, back back to just kind of like the audience appreciation and just kind of giving the audience a little bit, you know, I enjoyed always being able to do that and sort of humbling ourselves and also challenging ourselves too, because you get used to playing on a bigger stage. You got more gear, you know, your tech or whoever, you know, your sound guys, everybody's like used to like a big pro rig with nice lights. And it was like, nope, we're just going to do it this way. And we're going to load onto the sidewalk and there is no backstage. And, you know, we're just, like, laying outside on the sidewalk as people are, like, leaving. <laughs> it's like, do you have right. a pass to be back here? Oh, oh, wait, no, we're just on Frankfurt Ave, or we're on Front Street right now. And, like, there's nothing to do other than just sweat. Take. Let's switch gears. How did you uh, hook up with Krister and David from Extol to form Azusa? Um, well, I guess... Uh, I don't even remember what record it was. I'm going to say, like, one of the Dillinger records. Let's, let's just hypothetically say it was Option Paralysis. Around that time, uh, we were getting ready to go back in the studio, and I was just kind of looking for 
you know, I guess kind of reference songs for like how I imagined my bass sounding, you know, or something and just kind of, you know, to take to the producer and just to kind of get my, you know, get my stuff dialed in before the record because, um, you know, not only in terms of the parts I wrote, but also in terms of like my tone and, you know, I just kind of always wanted to at least like ratchet it up a few points uh, or like a few notches every every record. So uh, I remember reaching out, I, I guess on, it was probably even MySpace at the time, uh, reaching out to who I thought was maybe the bass player on x Synergy record, which had a big, you know, impression on me, uh, and asked, is there any, like, secret sauce? Is there, like, some weird Scandinavian pedal or, you know, some compressor? I don't I don't know. What bass? What, you know, is there any clue uh, as to, like, how you got the bass tone on this record? Because there's just certain songs and certain parts that I was just like, man, the bass just fits so well and just sounds so great. Um, and it's just so aggressive and I don't know, I just, I just loved it. And, um, so the feedback I got was basically like, I didn't play on that record. I don't really have any, you know, information for you. I'll tell the guys that you're a fan. I'm sure they'd be, you know, happy to hear it. Have a nice day. You know, like polite, but very just kind of a brief exchange. I was just like, okay, well that was that. Um, you know, fast forward probably, 10 or so years, I get an email or like, you know, at this point, maybe a Facebook message or something. Uh, I think it was from David, but either way, one one of the two, uh, just saying, hey, uh, we heard you were a fan. Uh, Krista and I are getting back together to continue writing music that is not X-Hole. We have some parts that are sort of orphaned from the synergy sessions that never got used. We'd love to send you some of the demos and see if you'd be interested. Um, so, you know, and at the time I, you know, I think I knew, maybe I didn't know that, I, I probably did know that Dillinger was wrapping up. Um, I had just, you know, kind of started putting the finishing touches on the John Frum record that I was working on and just knew that I had, you know, an open dance card, so to speak, for the next little while, or that I'm pretty sure I could fit it in at the pace that those things typically go. Um, you know, I heard the stuff and was just like, whoa, this is this is totally up my alley and a challenge. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that, that was at least how that part of it started. That's cool. How, how did you guys end up working with Solid State Records? I... I, I think, uh, let me think. Yeah, I might have some details a little shaky, but I believe that David had a relationship with them uh, from something previous. Uh, I'm not, I mean, I'm pretty sure Indy did the final x record and a lot of the x records. records. Uh, but David has a lot of connections. Yeah, I mean, Solid State was the U.S. Uh, distribution for those records. Right. Okay. So that, I mean, at the very least that had always, you know, that makes sense. Um, so I knew that David knew them and we were kind of throwing around, 
you know, who would be the label to, you know, we kind of knew that Indy should do it as far as Norway and Europe was concerned. Um, and then, you know, knowing that we had a European thing going, it was going to be hard, you know, because a lot of the other labels that I know, like, um, you know, metal labels like Season of Mist or Relapse or, you know, that kind of stuff was like, they are going to want a worldwide thing. Um, and they're not going to want to necessarily pair with indie. So I guess it was just, you know, like you said, because they already had a relationship, um, it was just kind of an easy, you know, an easy choice. Uh, and then, you know, not to discount the, I guess just like the faith factor. Um, yeah. You know, it wasn't necessarily, it, it isn't as strong of a, a thing with Azusa as it was obviously with Expo. Uh, but at the same time, it wasn't not a thing, you know, at least in terms of the membership or at least in terms of like the general um, mood of the record. Like there were just, there's definitely certain things that, you know, are certain topics that we may discuss and certain things that we're not going to discuss. And we're not going to sing songs about beer and, you know, even, you know, regardless of what our personal feelings are, there's just certain things that there's just like a certain mood and a subject matter that seem to fit with what solid state, um, you know, aligns with. So, you know, although there isn't necessarily like a strong defined, um, you know, faith factor there, like I said, there isn't, there's also not, not a faith factor there. So uh, I think that that kind of was the, I don't know, the icing on the cake, so to speak, or just kind of the, uh, we're not avoiding it, and if they're down to do it, you know, and, and not to discount just the usual business side of it, where it's just like they want to do it, the numbers make sense, they have strong distribution, um, you know, and they seem excited about it, and their excitement about it is like half the battle. So I was just kind of like, as long as we have U.S. distribution, I'm happy. Um, you know, I'm familiar with Solid State, and I know that they, you know, do a good job. So, yeah, I mean, it was it was a pretty easy um, decision. I don't, I don't remember a whole lot of the back and forth about it because I think it was just kind of like, oh, they're interested? Cool. Let's move on to yeah. other things and not worry about that because we have enough to think about. Are themes you're avoiding stuff that the label has asked you to avoid or or just from a per band perspective that you've decided not to? Yeah, I mean, it's not that we avoid it necessarily. I mean, I think, you know, regardless of what anyone's belief is, I, I know that Extol has a lot of fans that have no interest in Christianity, so to speak. Right. Um, you know, and for me, bands like 16 Horsepower and Extol, like, are, are some of my favorites. Um you know, and not to mention, you know, like, uh, even anything like a John McLaughlin and Mavisha Orchestra and like, you know, um, Shakti and, um, John Coltrane and Love Supreme or George Harrison, All Things Must Pass or, you know, all these bands who kind of take some sort of, um, faith-based undertone. Uh, yeah. there's some kind of power in that that I don't think you can really fully deny. So, um, I think as far as Extol was concerned, like, that was a lot of what propelled Extol. And at a point where, 
you know, not everybody's on the same page or at the same place on that path. Um, there was, there wasn't as much of a drive to do it because the authenticity factor maybe started to wane a little bit. Um, you know, so instead of, uh, corrupting the name, and I'm not necessarily saying that this is exactly what went down, but I think that there was something to be said about that as far as why Azusa, you know, came to be. Uh, I know that Krista and David have different points of view on their faith these days. Um, and it just kind of became more of a personal, like, you know, they're cousins. So, and they essentially yeah. started Expo together. So there was also this kind of underlying, like, you know, we agree on more than we disagree on, and we both have this drive to do it. Um, if we don't make the lyrics so overt, I think we'll all be happy. Um, you know, and I think with me too, it was like, you know, as long as I didn't fully disagree with what they were discussing and, and, you know, it's interesting. Like, I think that, um, you know, listening to both of them talk about their, uh, point of view and me talking about my point of view and then Eleni talking about her point of view, it's, it's, you know, there's definitely a lot of room for mysticism and spirituality and dialogue and, um, you know, it's it's definitely a part of the band, but it's just a little bit more of a. Um, I think Extol to me comes off as like having full faith, and Azusa is a little bit more about um, maybe not questioning it, but at least discussing it. You know, and kind of saving a little bit more. Uh, th- there's a little bit more cracks for light to get in. <laughs> A little more agnostic. Well, ag- agnostic, agnostic sounds, you know, maybe for certain people, um, not, you know, putting anybody, you know, like David's faith is, as far as I'm concerned, very strong and stoic. Um, you know, Christopher is a little bit more, um, you know, is kind of just in a little bit more of a, a searching, you know, or researching, questioning, okay. um, you know, I certainly wouldn't say I'm agnostic, um, and I guess I have a lot of uh, strong philosophical beliefs that, you know, especially more lately are leaning more into uh, a faith-type thing. But where, you know, I was raised Catholic, you know, I think these days I'm more, you know, you know, Buddhist transitioning into Hare Krishna or something. Um, <laughs> so... Uh, it's like, you know, we have a lot more um, common ground in the sense that, like, you know, the Indians call it Surya and the Mexicans call it Sol and, you know, Americans might call it Sun. But we're all talking about the big fiery planet up there. And I think that that's kind of a little bit more of, you know, the way I would discuss, like, where David and I stand. You know, and we, um, you know, so agnostic seems a little uh, too diluted, you know, or as if that I, agnostic to me sounds like I don't sort of have it figured out or I'm just kind of like, well, I believe in something, I just don't know what it is. And then I don't really talk about it anymore. Whereas like, I'm like, no, I'm fully engaged um, and I think I know what it is and I know what I call it and I don't ever want to not be talking about the same thing as somebody else. So if there's a point where I feel like we're digressing, I'm a little bit more willing to 
um, you know, reframe my terminology for my audience, you know, to make sure that it's like, well, no, I agree with you. I just might call it something else or my way of worshiping it or believing in it in it or the way that I live my life might be different than you. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's at least speaking for myself, um, you know, and David, who I think are a little bit easier to um, pin down. Well, the new record is called Loops of Yesterday. It comes out on April 10th. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that, the process behind recording that? And I don't know if you can speak to the themes on this record. Yeah, a little bit. Um, well, you know, lyrically, it's, um, you know, probably two-thirds Elaney, one-third Christer. Um, the writing, you know, there was, you know, th- we were already recording this before Heavy Yoke even was released. So, you know, the- these Norwegians, they're quite prolific. Uh, <laughs> they, and, you know, and I think that part of it is just kind of we had a little bit of a head start because they just they had a lot of material left over um, that just got heavily reworked. So there was already so many um, song seeds that we just kind of had to cultivate a little bit and then just, you know, add our own personal twists on it. Um, you know, I, I, I guess I kind of just backed up and supported what David and Krista were doing. And then Elaney came in and just did, you know, her, she, I think she adds way more. Um, I just kind of blend in like salt, you know, I just make it taste good. And if there was too much of it, it you, you would notice, you know, but ultimately I just kind of disappear into it. Um, where I think that Eleni has a little bit more of a stronger influence over how it all um, comes off. And yeah. uh, so anyway, in terms of like the the recording, the writing and recording, like I said, we were already going through some of the material and recording it, um, you know, as Heavy Yoke was getting ready to be released. Uh, we were doing it in chunks, like I would fly over and try to record like three or four songs and we try to piggyback it on something else like um, like hey we have to shoot a video for Interstellar Islands was a uh, song on Heavy Yoke first single so you know I would fly over uh, land in Oslo we do the video for that um, and then I would maybe take five extra days on the end of that trip to just sit in the studio and track um, so it was just kind of like I said like a lot of piggybacking and um I think even at that time, like, I think Elaney had been there, like, the week before me. So they would record as many vocals for the new record as they could. We'd meet up on, for a day or two, we'd shoot the video. You know, we don't have a ton of extra space over there, so we could only really be, you know, in the same apartment for so long before it started to feel like we're, you know, just a little tight. And the, and the studio, it's like, it's kind of an intimate thing. Like, when David is working with Elaney, it was kind of, it, it, it just didn't feel appropriate for me to be hanging out. Um, gotcha. you know, and vice versa. I like, you know, not that I really mind when there's an audience, but 
you know, it just kind of also gives me quality time to hang out with my friend David and yeah. to go deeper and not feel like anybody, you know, like if we didn't feel like stopping for dinner, then we just didn't. Uh, if we felt like going until 2.30 in the morning, we just did. Um, and it wasn't like anybody else was there being like, oh, I'm tired, can I have your key? I'm going to go back to your place. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was a lot of just these, like, little marathon things. You know, sometimes Dillinger would, you know, be playing in Oslo, or we'd have, a, you know, I think we played Oslo and had a, had a day off, and then we played Finland. So I stayed in Oslo and just flew to Finland and tracked, like, two songs, um, you know, in that day off. Uh, stuff like that. You know, we would just try to piecemeal it together as much as we could. Um, you know, and then I would just go home. They would write some more stuff or finish some more stuff, send me that via, you know, Dropbox or whatever, you know, um, you know, storage thing we were using. I think, you know, it was probably a combination of all of them. Sometimes Krista would send me like a little uh, kind of really bootleg, you know, not in terms of, you know, quality, but in terms of just, uh, you know, just kind of thrown together, you know, here's me playing this riff. This is what my hands are doing. Um, you know, try to sort of work away or work against this. Um, so just a lot of like little shortcuts. And then, you know, most of our correspondence about things like, you know, album artwork or, you know, scheduling anything is just going down in like a WhatsApp chat. Uh, you know, and it's cool. Technology's cool in that sense. Like 25 years ago, I'm not really sure that there would be as many internationally, um, you know, as many international bands uh, and as highly functional as we seem to be. Yeah. Uh, and, it, you know, and with the second record, it's kind of less of a super group project. And it's like, no, it's a band. It just doesn't really function the same way. Um, you know, yeah, I mean, even Dillinger, I started to get used to, you know, just not being in the same city, you know, and these people just aren't in the same city either. They're just six hours ahead of me and touring is a real pain in the ass. <laughs> yeah, right. Not that, you know what I mean? And rehearsing, it's just like, if you, you can't just do like one show, it makes no sense. So. Right. No, no weekend warriors for you guys. <laughs> no, no, no. It takes us, you know, three or four, four days to even like start to sound like a band. That's kind of the basic, um, you know, thing. And that, you know, and it was, it was all put together pretty quickly. Uh, and, you know, we had a pretty bold intention to get it out as soon as possible. Uh, for, for a lot of reasons, you know, some of them personal and just scheduling, just like, hey, if we don't do it now, I'm not going to have time to do it for another six to eight months. Or, yeah. You know, also just like, you know, if we want this guy to mix it, this is his schedule. If we want these labels to do it, it's going to have to be at this time. And also, uh, we feel like a lot of these songs, I guess, are almost not written at the same time, but like from the same mindset uh, and maybe yeah. from some of the same sessions and, you know, just kind of also like, I want to get this kind of stuff out of our system. You know, and I think once yeah. people hear the record, they'll start to hear, like, a little bit of a transition. And I, I'm not really sure exactly where the next phase is going to go. Um, you know, I think a lot of sophomore releases also are a bit of a rebound. You know, or, or maybe not, okay. like, B-sides, but just kind of like, okay, well, these are... I, I think Heavy Yoke is a little bit more of a um, solid slab. You know, and I guess I guess there's moments on that that aren't as... Um, you know, it's not like 
10 tracks of the same thing. Uh, but I feel like Luke of Yesterday's is a little bit more, um, you know, I, I guess to go back to the ego analogy, it's a little bit more from the heart, a little bit more from the gut, a little bit more personal. I think the lyrics are a little bit heavier. I know that we all went through, you know, some, some really, uh, you know, profound ups. And I know that a lot of us experienced pretty significant, um, peaks of joy in our lives in the last two years. But I also know that there's some pretty dark, scary, uh, painful things that went on that I would, at least personally, I can say that uh, I haven't necessarily made music with people who I think have been through as much as we've all been through collectively in an 18-month span. Um, and then actually put out a record that we're happy with and proud of that we feel like whether we even knew it or not was coming and or I don't know how to say it. Like, uh, you know, some of it as a lot of art is, is in hindsight. Like you look back on it and maybe it's because you see it as a finished product. You're like, Whoa, I didn't even put that together. You know, and also like, as we were mixing it is when, at least for me, when certain things started to really cave in and I was like, Whoa, I didn't even realize that all of this had kind of been building up until now. And I've kind of been like holding my breath until now. And now that I'm finally exhaling and like taking inventory on stuff, I see, um, you know, what I'd been working through, uh, in the record, you know, and just like certain painful stuff that I was like, Whoa, I can't even believe that I was kind of already beginning to like, exercise that in terms in like a poltergeisty kind of way um you know and just kind of also just the um the way that certain lyrics kind of hit me like even though i didn't write them i was like whoa i totally relate to that and i'm so glad that that's in there now because this you know is super personal for me and i didn't even realize it was as if like somebody was um you know, like I was hypnotized and, or, you know, I don't even know. It was, it was like they were writing lyrics for me without knowing it. But at the same time, they're very much about their own things. I could just relate more than I realized until I, it was pretty much done. And I looked back and was like, whoa, that's kind of creepy. <laughs> you know, and not everything, of course, you know, a lot of it is like way yeah. too personal for me to relate to, but certain things I was like, whoa, I, I, deep. Yeah, you you felt it. Yeah, I definitely will always look back on this record and listen to this record as as having a certain, um, you know, existential heaviness. You know, certain things I've been a part of it have been like legitimately like, you know, distortion knob on eleven kind of heavy or just like slow heavy riffs. Whereas this just kind of feels like it's more lyrically heavy. Um, I think the music has a certain, um, you know, there's certain dissonances and certain, just certain ways that things land and resolve and certain note choices even, like certain just even, you know, certain clusters of notes that happen in a really, you know, in a, maybe even a two-second span, which, you know, as music tends to do at its best, is like just makes you feel something you've never felt before. It's like, oh, that was just like... Like, ew, the way that resolved is just so, ew, or like, oh, that's so amazing, or, you know, but in a good way, of course, not like, oh, it's a mistake, but like, whoa, that's, um, like, 
that's music. That, you know, we actually made something that doesn't just sound like music. It feels like music. It's not like, uh, you know, I can name a bunch of kind of modern, proggy, musician-y kind of bands that I'm like, yeah, I mean, it sounds like music, but it just doesn't feel like anything. Just to kind of wrap it up nicely, I mentioned the uh, the Mirker tour I did, and just to tie it back to Azusa, I thought it was really uh, an interesting thing to be on tour with a female-fronted band in the heavier realm. And when Azusa was looking for a vocalist, you know, we were kind of tossing around a bunch of names and kind of styles and like. You know, can you imagine, like, death metal vocals over this? Can you imagine, like, more of, like, thrash or hardcore or, like, you know, and David would kind of demo some stuff, and I'm like, yeah, okay, like, you know, the phrasing or, like, some of this sounds right, but um, I also just kind of didn't want to do the same thing over and over again. Like, and not to say that mm-hmm. Dillinger and Extol or Dillinger and Azusa sound anything like each other, but they're kind of in the same realm of you know, at least in terms of complexity or technicality or facility needed to execute it properly. So as a musician, I was like, as much as I really want to play with these people, and especially after meeting them, I, I, I'll say, like, coming from their background and my background, I was like, what are these people going to think of me? And, you know, they're going to think I'm Satan's son or they're just going to think I'm too weird. Um, and within, like, a couple of days, it was very clear that, like, we're definitely coming from completely different places, but, like, we're so kindred. Um, you know, like, they're, they're, they're family at this point. Um, and it's also nice to be in a situation when I'm older and having done the Dillinger thing and, and you know, they having done the Exil thing, it doesn't feel um, like there was as much to prove like, we definitely still want to play, you know, and play hard and throw down hard um, and not sound like washed-up white dads. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, there was also this kind of, like, more victory lap vibe to it, you know, where it wasn't like, we got to, you know, we got to go fuck shit up. It was a little bit more like, yo, let's go have fun. Um, yeah. Let's write some good music. Let's go make some people happy. Let's share our gifts. Uh, so anyway, back to this vocalist thing, we, um, you know, we were going back and forth about it a lot. And after that Mirkard run, I was like, wow, I could really, you know, see us having a female fronting this thing or like, I personally would be really interested in exploring this more than just these two or three weeks out on the road. Um, it just kind of had a different vibe. There was a different energy. Um, you know, I've joked around before that like, for me, hearing a woman scream, you know, certain lyrics, it, 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 like, just does something to me as a heterosexual man where it just kind of triggers me in a different <laughs> way than, like, hearing just, like, like Greg scream at me. It's like, that just sounds like my friend is mad at me. But, like, right. you know, there's, something, there's something else about, like, a woman being angry at, you know, mankind um, that just 
uh, I don't know, um, is just a new sensation and something that I, I really wanted to be a part of. Yeah, it definitely hits you differently. Yeah. And, you know, the, and, you know, I'll also say too, like being on tour with Mirker and like just kind of getting a peep into her like DMs and just like, you know, this is a little bit, you know, maybe I can't remember where in like the Me Too movement that tour was. It may have been like either right before or kind of right as it was peaking, but just like seeing the kind of like knucklehead unsolicited shit that people would write to her and like how mean and like direct it was. It was just like really, I don't know. It was just kind of really gross. And, um, I kind of also just wanted to, you know, in my own way, kind of take up that fight a little bit. Um, and you know, not to necessarily say to put Eleni on the front lines of that, but just to kind of, again, challenge that status quo a little bit, you know, and, and mm-hmm. have it be a little bit less of a boys club, you know, knowing that she could throw down just as hard as anybody else and that, like, you know, it's just different. It's not necessarily, like, trying to be a dude, um, you know, or trying to sound like a dude or trying to sound heavy or kind of play that good cop, bad cop, beauty and the beast type thing, Um you know, even though I guess in some ways maybe, you know, some people could argue that it is, but I just felt like she has such a unique thing going on. Um, that, yeah, I was just really excited, you know, to hear that finished product. Like when Heavy Yoke was done, it was just like, this is fucking great. You know, I'm just, I don't care if the audience hates it. I don't care if this just gets panned everywhere. I'm super proud of this and super proud of us. Um, and I feel that way about this record too. Uh, I think that, you know, like I said, I, I was really excited to kind of get, uh, back into the studio now that we kind of know each other because Heavy Yoke was written a little bit from that kind of super group project point of view. Like we didn't really know each other super well. We weren't necessarily writing music for each other. We were just kind of writing music and then we all just kind of completed it. Whereas with Lupa Yesterday's, these songs, we were, like, writing and making decisions on song structure and um, what stuff to develop. You know, out of, like, maybe the 15 or so ideas that we had, what 9 or 10 are going to be the ones that we're going to push the hardest to get finished for this record? Uh, knowing what each other's strengths are and trying to play to those. Uh, I think it was just, I don't know, a little bit more personal. Uh, and, it, you know, I hope audiences like it uh, but regardless it was what we wanted to do a lot more than um, a lot of other you know than things could have been and with that comes a little bit of you know maybe compromise but I think that that's a good thing and it's a lot more authentic uh, so yeah I'm uh, really proud of that and I can't wait for it to come out fully and the response so far has been strong, um, you know, and we're talking about, you know, this isn't, you know, we're not going to sell a million records. This is this is still like uh, a little bit of a labor of love and a leap of faith. And, you know, I'm probably spending more money on this project than I'll ever make on it just to make sure that it gets finished in a way that I'm proud of. So, yeah. Hope other people feel the same. Follow me on Instagram at 
Liam Wilson, or Twitter is the same, and Azusa. Uh, I think Azusa's Facebook is Azusa official because Azusa California would not let us just have Azusa, the Facebook page. Um, and I think otherwise it's Azusa official on Instagram and Twitter. And uh, if you want to get some merch or hard goods, www.theazusawebsite.com Thanks for listening to As the Story Grows. Our theme song was written and composed by the legendary Bob Nana. If you like what you hear, subscribe on iTunes and give the show a rating and review. If you'd like to support the show financially, click on the Patreon link at asthestorygrows.com. If you enjoyed this episode, share it on social media with your friends. Much appreciated, and thanks for listening. I never felt so young and alive as when I'm diving into a tomb. And now I'm learning as I listen along, and the wheels are turning, and I started a song. What good word, and I'm gone. Oh, as the story.
show. 